Amen. Well, you can be seated. Good morning. Hope you're good. Um, excited about today, um, as always, and, and looking forward to sharing God's Word with you. Before we do that, though, I've got several things I want to mention to you, a lot going on. Um, the first thing is there is a uh, ministry. It's called Engage Global. Some of you may have heard of it, but it's up in Minneapolis, um, what they do is, is they train people and teach people more about God's global purpose. A lot of what we talked about last week, it goes into more depth. Um, so they do that, but they also give um, an opportunity to learn more about the cultures that go along with other religions and things like that. Um, I didn't realize this, but Minneapolis is one of the most diverse cities in the United States. At that time when I went, it was, I think, number two behind Los Angeles, and so um, lots of people from lots of different backgrounds live there. Um, you get to learn about these other cultures, but you also get to go to places where um, you interact with folks who are from different backgrounds. For example, um, we learned a lot about Buddhists, Hindu, Muslims, uh, different things like that. We also went to a uh, Buddhist temple, a Hindu temple. We went to a Somali market where we were able to share the gospel uh, with some folks there. It was a really, really cool experience. Um, so much stuff I could tell you about it. If you'd be interested in going uh, to Engage Global, uh, there's some space on our next trip that's coming up. Um, if that's something that interests you, uh, today after the service at our Next Steps table, they'll have all the information that you would need to get signed up for that and be a part of that next trip. Um, it's something that is really, really awesome. Uh, you get so kind of engulfed into the cultures um, of these folks that I know I was walking around the Somali market after an hour or so of being there, and I kind of felt like my, I was like, will my cell phone work here? You know, you kind of felt like you're in another country. It's kind of weird. And so, um, but it's really, really interesting. It's very powerful. If you're interested in that, um, check that out after the service. Also today, um, we have our college uh, connect group sign up. So if you're college, college age, and you're interested in being in one of our small groups, we call those connect groups. Love for you to be a part of these. We feel like these are crucial um, to our relationship with Christ and, and relationship with others, our own spiritual journey, but also how we carry that out um, in our lives. Uh, that also, after the service, there'll be folks out there in the back, you may have noticed some signs and things as you walked in. Um, check those out. Meet some folks that help lead those groups, get signed up for a group. Um, really encourage you to be a part of those um, in some way um, here at the church. Uh, last thing I want to announce is the prayer and worship time tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, something that is, is extremely important. Uh, this, if God's going to do what he desires to do in us and through us as a church, it's going to happen as we pray and worship. And so I want to encourage you. Come out for that at 6, and we're going to do exactly what it says. We're going to pray and worship God. Uh, these things have been powerful uh, so far, and, and I know that God's stirring a lot of people's hearts through them, so be a part of that. All right, so I want to show you a video in just a second. As we've been talking about vision and where we're going as a church and um, just kind of what God's doing in our hearts, there's something that's really important that we want to share with you today, something that we've been praying through for probably about two years and feel like now's the time to begin this process. Um, it has to do with us being a multi-site church and, and having our campuses and, and even going forward, um, planning churches and that kind of thing. And so 
first, before I talk more about it, I want you to see the video and just kind of hear the hearts of the pastors from each of our campuses. So check this video out. As a church, we've always tried to be uh, people who listen to God and do what he says. One of the things we really feel like the Lord's leading us to do is see us move from a multi-site church to a church that plants um, other churches that are uh, independent and on their own. We feel like this is a big step of faith but we really believe this is where God's leading us. Ever since the beginning of Connection, our heart has always been to, to reach people. Just looking at the way the church was done in the book of Acts and in the early church, you, you see um, kind of Paul's church planning strategy was to go into places and raise up the leadership there so that they could learn to shepherd and, and, and teach and train up the people um, from the context that they were in. Um, and so uh, as, as we started seeking the Lord on that and really looking into the scriptures and, and seeing how Paul did it, um, we started throwing around the idea of maybe uh, kind of moving churches to be autonomous. And as we began to pray and just seek the Lord more and more on it, it, it really became clear that that was the direction that was going to enable us to reach uh, more and more people. When you step and it, there's risk involved, there's always the chance that you think you'll look back and think that um, you did something wrong. But a lot of times that's when God forms us and shapes us the most, not only as individuals, but as a church. And I think um, through these periods, there's been so much uh, growth and we've seen so much um, impact uh, for God's kingdom in these communities that there's no way we could say that it wasn't in God's plan. But I think when you continue to follow the Lord through uh, tough times and when you're a church and people seeking the Lord that uh, change is going to come and change is going to be good and it's not always going to be easy whether that's um, in individual lives or the church together. We may not know even the, the effects of the goodness that could come from it right away but in the future um, we'll understand. I think something we have to always remember that, that like our heart has never changed. Our heart's always been the same uh, to reach people. To, to grow people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, to, to really just love on our own communities. Our heart in every campus has been the same way. I think that uh, you know us becoming our own entity, us being autonomous, um, it just allows us to be able to be more focused on the people in our community and, and really structure our ministry more around the culture that we have. The biggest fear we had as a campus was probably being so young, um, just being about nine months old when we started having this conversation about autonomy. I think that uh, just the, the fact that we haven't had the amount of time that some of the other campuses have had to, to create influence or uh, to have experience in, in their cities to, to create that influence and to build those relationships uh, through conversations with some of the pastors, Brandon, um, Central staff. I think uh, those fears have subsided because uh, just the fact that we're going to be able to work together as partners um, in ministry and as a, as a network of churches to, to come together and um, to, to support one another and to be able to uh, push one another further into the communities that we're in. 
it makes a lot of sense when you think about having local leadership because people in Vidalia or Poole or, or Dublin or Millen, they know their people better than we do here. It makes sense for them to listen to God and do what he says in regards to leading the folks that they're responsible for. I do believe that the local church is the hope of the world. It's God's agent of renewal. And so we're really excited about it. Uh, looking forward to seeing all that God has in store for us as we move forward. So I want to spend just a second clarifying some of that for you. Um, one of the things that's really exciting about this is as churches, these, these campuses, begin to step into a more autonomous um, role, their leadership gets to minister to the people there. Um, it makes more sense that way to me to see how um, they know the folks, they know where they're at, they, they are able to lead instead of uh, the leadership in Statesboro trying to really lead everybody. It's, it's where they raise up. And it's been exciting because we've been able to see people in those congregations stepping up and taking even greater ownership in what God's doing there and what God wants to do there. So it's really exciting. Um, when we began planting campuses and we planted this church, I, I can't tell you that I had ever really foreseen us being a multi-site church. The reason we planted campuses is because it fit with our heart. So our heart has always been, let's reach people. Heart's always been, let's get people who are called in ministry to where God called them to be. And the heart has always been for me personally to walk with pastors and to be someone for them that I really did not have when we began planting this church, uh, to be that mentor to them. The great thing about this is none of that changes. I'm still going to be meeting with campus pastors. We're still going to be bouncing things off of one another as churches. We're still heart and soul together um, and, and moving forward. And I believe that we'll continue planting churches, not just out of Statesboro, but us together will continue to plant churches. I, I don't know this and don't hold me to this, but I feel, I sense, I can't say it's God, but I feel like in my heart, we'll plan another church in probably another year and a half or so, two years. I feel like we'll be a part of that. And so it's exciting. Um, it's, it's cool to see. It's kind of bittersweet in a way because it's the way you feel about it a little bit is it's kind of like having children and you're proud of them as they grow up and proud, hopefully you're proud of them as they grow up, proud of who they become. And then, you know, and they, they kind of go off. You have to kind of let them go. That's kind of what this feels like. But the good thing about it is what's important, the relationships, they don't end. And so we're looking forward to seeing what all God does in this. The order of it will be kind of the order that they were planted in. So by day, will roll off first. Um, they're blowing and go. I mean, like, look, it's amazing what God's doing over there. Um, and so they're going to be first, then milling, probably then Dublin, and then later Pooler, because we want to walk with some of the younger ones long enough. Uh, to make sure that they get on good footing. And so we're excited about that and looking forward to it. I want you to be aware of it. In just a minute, we're going to pray uh, for the campuses and, um, and, and for this service. But I want to kind of give you a little heads up on where we're going today. Uh, we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1 today, kind of picking up where we left off last week. If you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. Um, it's, it'll be up on the website. It should be up by now. You can go back and watch it. 
um, and check that out. You can listen to it on podcast, but it's just integral to where we're going as a church. And what we looked at last week is God's plan, God's purpose for us, his purpose for us as his people, as his church. And we started in Genesis 1, through 28, and we saw where God created us in his image. He, he blessed us. He, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. And all this to be done in his image in a way that glorifies him. We realized we lost that through sin and rebellion, that, that ability to do that was lost. But then we looked at Acts 1, 8. And in Acts 1.8, it's really cool because Jesus pretty much says the same thing with different words. He tells us in Acts 1.8, he tells the disciples, he says, listen, you wait in Jerusalem. And then he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so when we see this, we realize that God's purpose for us has never changed. His purpose has always been that he would be glorified throughout the earth through people who've been reconciled or, or right with him and now reconciled to him, um, filling the earth with his image, ruling over it in a way that would glorify him. And so we really looked at it, the why and the what of what God's called us to do, the why, because it's very clear because his love compels us. When we see his love for us, it compels us to share his love with others. Um, and so we see the why, the what, to carry this um, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, from Statesboro to surrounding areas, to the ends of the earth, that we carry the message of Christ. So today we're going to be looking at the how. How do we do that? Little uh, heads up on this. Um, we're not going to talk a lot specifically about Connection Church because this is what I believe. I believe if we see the purpose of God's church, the big C church, his purpose for his church, not just one local congregation, but his church, it becomes very easy to see how we fit into that, okay? So we're gonna take a big mile high look at this today, um, but then over time we'll begin looking at how does this um, fit into where what God has for us locally, all right? Okay, so... I want to pray. I want to pray for campuses. I want to pray for the rest of the service. Lord, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, God. Let the reality of your presence um, sink into our hearts right now, Lord. Let your love, God, uh, let us become more aware of your love for us. God, because I know we, when we encounter your love and the power of your spirit, God, we don't stay the same. God, ignite a fire in our hearts. God, awaken us right now. God, awaken us to a greater reality of who you are. Open the eyes of our understanding, God, through your spirit. God, speak to our hearts. God, I pray this for every campus, God, uh, of, of Connection Church. Lord, the, the churches that have been planted, God, would you work in them? Would you continue to work in them, God. Fill each pastor and staff and leadership and every attend, attender, God, there. Fill them with the power of your presence. Unite our hearts together as one that we can carry out your purpose and your mission in this earth, Lord. God, we love you, and I, I just thank you that you love us the way you do. God, transform our hearts. Transform our minds. That we be people who bring you glory. God, unite us, all your people, to carry out your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you, uh, if you own anything, you know this. Like, if you have anything, 
you spend a lot of time, if you have a house or apartment or whatever, if you're like me, you spend a lot of time fixing stuff, especially if you've got kids, right? You spend a lot of time fixing things. And I don't know how many of you are like me in this, that when you go to work on something, you have to work on whatever you're going to work with before you can do the work. Anybody else have that problem? Like yesterday, we had a tree that was dead in our yard, been dead for like four years. And uh, so finally, Susan's like, you need to cut that down. So I was like, don't tell me what to do. And then I went and cut the tree down, right? And so, but before I could cut the tree down, I had to work on the chainsaw for like 30 minutes to get it right, um, get it to work. And so if you're like me again, you spend a lot of time looking at YouTube videos on how to fix stuff. Like, uh, how do I fix this, the truck? Well, let me YouTube that. How do I fix that? You know, how do I fix the lawnmower, the chainsaw? How do I do this? How do I do that? And, and I just look up stuff, and I spend a lot of time watching YouTube, and it works one of two ways. It either saves me a lot of money, or it costs me a lot of money when I make it worse trying to fix it. Either way, I think it probably washes out. But I spend a lot of time watching things like that, trying to figure out how do I fix this? How do I make this right? How do I do this? Um, but how many of you wish that there was like a YouTube video that was like, how to fix your relationship. And you can watch like five minutes and then everything's better. Like you just know like, oh, why didn't I think of that? And it's like, it's all better then, right? Or a YouTube video of, you know, five minutes and on how to raise your children. Somebody's like, mmm. And so you, you, you watch it and then it's like, oh, silly me, you know, and you, you kind of figure it out, and, and then it's all easy, and you just got it. And, and you know, that'd be great. It, it doesn't exist, but it'd be great. And so when we look at this today, and how do we carry out this vision of God that he's had from the beginning of time? How do we carry that out? It's not going to be perfect. Um, I told you three Sundays ago, we talked a lot about it's not going to be easy. Um, it's, there's going to be challenges. It's, it's going to be difficult. What we're going to look at today um, is the, the, the foundation of it, but it's not just going to all of a sudden happen. If you're like me and you're a type A personality, you see God's plan, it becomes very clear, and you're like, let's get this done by next Thursday, right? Not going to happen. I mean, it would, it, I'm not saying God couldn't do it. Oh, you don't have faith. I mean, yeah, I do. I have faith. But I'm just saying it's not going to be easy, okay? And so we need to see this and understand this. So I want to begin in Acts chapter 1, and let's just today lay a foundation for how it's going to work, what it's going to take in order for God's plan to take place through us and his church, okay? So in verse 1 of Acts 1, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, writing to this man by the name of Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Let's stop right there. Now, Luke had written the gospel of Luke. He had researched all these things. You'll see in Acts where he spent a lot of time with um, Paul and other disciples. He, he, he dug into these things to figure them out. He wrote the gospel of Luke about Jesus's life and ministry. And he tells us, he says, I wrote you that first book to tell you what Jesus began 
and to do and to teach. Now, where he's picking up, he's about to show us what Jesus continued to do, what Jesus continued to teach, how Jesus continued to move, right, throughout the history of the church. So this is really important. Um, and if someone had asked me, and they didn't ask me what we should title the book of Acts, they just didn't care about my opinion on that. But if they had asked, I would not have titled it the Acts of the Apostles like it's often written. I would have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because what you see in the book of Acts is that Jesus, yes, had died, resurrected, ascended to heaven. But he sends back the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, continues to do the work that Jesus began when he was on earth. And so we see this. It's why Jesus tells them in um, Acts 1, verses 4 through 8, for them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait there until they received what the Father had promised, until they received what Jesus had promised. And what they had promised was the Holy Spirit. So they say, look, don't leave, don't go anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so I want you to see first this morning kind of how this plays out because it's really important what we're going to see and it lays a foundation for us to establish um, the how and, and the what of, or, or and the how and the, uh, what it's going to take moving forward. So he promises the Spirit he, he says again, wait on the Spirit in Acts 1, 4 through 8. Now go to Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of, sorry, my page is stuck together. A violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The last verse is going to be important. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what we begin to see here, guys, and don't, lose, don't get lost in this, I want you to see that the Spirit has now come. The promised Holy Spirit has come to the followers of Jesus. They are filled with the Spirit of God. What happens next? Peter stands up, preaches a message, and in this message, he lays out God's purpose and plan from the beginning. And after he's done, 3,000 people come to faith that day and are baptized in the name of Jesus. And so we see that the Spirit is moving, but also take note of this. Where have they now been witnesses to Jesus? In Jerusalem. What did Acts 1.8 say? When the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay? And so we see this taking place. We see this happening. Jerusalem, they have now been witnesses in Jerusalem. The, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus took our sin and the punishment for our sin to make us right with God, that he, even though he was righteous, became unrighteous so we could become the righteousness of God, reunited in relationship with him. He's saying, look, this has all happened. Now we've received the Spirit. They proclaim the good news. 3,000 people have come to faith. 
Now let's jump. We're going to skip a lot here, but we're going to go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. In Acts 7, there's a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is stoned to death because of his proclamation of the gospel, his faith in Jesus. Once he's stoned, um, we're going to see what happens. Um, Basically, um, in in verse 1 of chapter 8, we're going to pick up there after the stoning of Stephen. It says, on that day, the day that Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout where? Judea. And where? Samaria. All right, skip over to Acts 8.4. We're going to skip around. There's a lot of scripture, and we're going to try to get to all of it. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. So I want you to see what's happening. Stephen is stoned. He's, he's, he's martyred. And then everybody's scattered. But where did it say they went? It specifically tells us they went to Judea and they went to Samaria. And so it says in Acts 8, 4, that wherever they went, they proclaimed the gospel. So what were they doing? They were being witnesses to Jesus declaring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, wherever they went. They goes into Judea. They proclaim the gospel. They're witnesses to Jesus. You go into Samaria. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're witnesses to Jesus. Now listen to this. In Acts chapter 8, look over in verse 14. Philip has gone to Samaria. He's preached the gospel. I want you to notice there's not as much of a detailed account of what happens in Judea, but there's a very specific detailed account of what happens in Samaria. We're going to talk about why that is in just a second. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So they sent the big dogs to Samaria, Peter, the, the rock, And John, the beloved disciple, they sent them to Samaria. Now that these Samaritans had come to faith. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. So they had come to faith. They prayed for these new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So Simon was a sorcerer. He'd been, you know, doing sorcery and and, and witchcraft, all this stuff. He sees the Holy Spirit given. Doesn't say that he saw him speak in tongues. You could probably make an argument going on through Scripture as we look at these next couple of Scriptures that that's what he saw. But the most important thing is he saw something tangible that happened, that the Holy Spirit was given, so much so that he said, I'll give you money if you'll give me the ability to lay my hands on people so that they receive the Holy Spirit because that's cool, right? And so he's, he's saying that. He saw this. He recognized this. It was recognizable. And so here's the next question I would ask, though. Why, when these Samaritans come to faith, why did they not receive the Holy Spirit? Why would they not? When they come to faith, we know the Bible teaches that when we come to faith, we receive the Spirit. So why did they not come or receive the Spirit when they came to faith? 
Notice again, not much detail about Judea. Why? There were Jews in Judea who lived in Samaria. Samaritans. What was the issue? Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They did not get along. For a Jew to see another Jew come to know the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, who's come to save the world and, and establish his kingdom, for a Jew to see another Jew come to faith in him, that, yeah, that makes sense. They've always been God's people. They've always been chosen people for God. So that makes sense. But when you come to the Samaritans, the Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans hated Jews, that's a bigger deal. There's a wall of hostility that exists there. And so when they hear, the apostles, the leaders of the church hear that these Samaritans have come to faith, then they send John and Peter. They didn't send just anybody. They sent John and Peter. John and Peter lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Why did this have to happen? Because as we're gonna see, as the gospel moves forward, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to them in the same way as the gospel goes into different areas. The gift of the Spirit is given to these different people in the same way that the first Jews in, on the day of Pentecost received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God was confirming his love for and his acceptance of all people who put their faith in Christ. It makes sense. Everybody's still with me? A lot of information. Don't look at me like that. All right? So he's confirming his acceptance and his love for, for anyone who puts their faith in Christ, who turns from their own ways to follow Jesus. He's saying, look, by faith in Christ, I accept them. I, I, I'm pouring my spirit out on them, the spirit of love, my grace into their life. So we see this first in Samaria. So the gospel, now listen, they've been witnesses in Jerusalem. They've been witnesses in Judea. Now they've been witnesses in Samaria. And not only were they witnesses, but God has now confirmed through the power of his Holy Spirit, his acceptance and love for the Samaritans, even the Samaritans who put their faith in Christ. Now let's move on. Acts chapter 10. I'm not gonna read all of it because there's a lot. But Peter, one day, again, Peter, why? Important that Peter, who is one of the highest leaders in the church, is the one who's involved in this. Peter is praying on the roof of a house one day. And so he's up there praying. Um, he, he gets hungry. And, and, and before him, he begins to have a vision. And God lowers down this sheet. And in this sheet are these, what Jews would have called unclean animals. They were animals they didn't touch. They didn't eat them. But Jesus speaks to Peter and says, Peter, arise, kill and eat. Peter's like, oh, Jesus, you know, I would never eat anything unclean. And we're like, yeah, whatever, Peter. You're the guy that tried to cut someone's ear off. You probably ate whatever you wanted to, right? And so he's Peter. But Peter's like, oh, no, I wouldn't eat anything. And Jesus is like, look, Peter, don't call anything that I've created unclean. All right? Then he tells him, listen, there's a man in Caesarea. Caesarea was in Samaria, but he's a Gentile man. He was a centurion in the Roman army. He says, there's a man in Caesarea. He's gonna send some folks to you. When they get here, you get up and you go with them because I'm, I'm sending you to tell them the good news. I'm sending you to tell them and be a witness to them about the gospel and the good news of Christ. And so he tells him this. At the same time, um, 
the centurion is praying. He's praying. Cornelius is his name. He's praying, and God says, send to Joppa, where Peter was. He says, send to him, for him. He's going to come back, and he's going to tell you this message that I want you to hear. And that is completely my version, right? But that's what happens. Now I want to pick up in the scripture of when Peter gets to the house. He goes in. Um, Cornelius has gathered friends and family that he wants to hear this message. Verse 44 in Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. Listen, 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 listen. If you dozed off, wake up. Verse 45, the circumcised believers, who is that? The Jews. The Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, listen, this is big. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. What's happening? This is huge, y'all, because now the Gentiles have come to faith. Peter is there. He's the one that as he's preaching, they begin to speak in tongues. They begin to worship God. And he's sitting there and he's going, now even the Gentiles have received the Spirit the same way we have. The people who were with him, the other Jewish Christians, they're blown away. They're like, what in the world? But the one thing they can't deny at this point is that God has accepted the Gentiles in the same way he accepted the Jews. Now, this is important. You go on. I'm not going to read it. Um, Acts chapter 19, Paul comes and runs into some folks who had heard of John the Baptist and his preaching of repentance for the, the kingdom of heaven is near. They had not heard about Jesus and the full gospel. So Paul preaches that he lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. Um, the Spirit comes upon them and he they begin to speak in tongues. They begin to prophesy. This is important. Why? Because what are we seeing? One, what are we seeing? We see that it goes from Jerusalem to Judea. Walls come down even in Samaria. Walls come down even with Gentile believe, or Gentiles. And we go even on into Ephesus. And these Gentile believers, they come to faith in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit the same way. So one, we see the Spirit going out. We see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. But also listen to what's happening. God is confirming his love and acceptance on people as they come to faith in Christ, tearing down walls of hostility that exist between races, that exist between different cultures, that exist between different religions, that exist for whatever reason. God is saying, listen, I'm pouring my spirit out on people who come to faith in Christ. I'm creating in my, in my people one people. They're not gonna be divided. They're gonna be one. And this one people is gonna go into all the world and they're gonna scatter, they're gonna spread and wherever they spread, they're gonna preach the gospel and people are gonna come to faith in Christ and they're gonna receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's gonna give them a new heart and the truth of Christ is gonna renew their mind and out of a renewed mind, they're gonna begin to live a different life and this earth is gonna be filled with my love as I confirm my love in them and it compels them to share my love with others and the earth is going to be transformed. How? Through the working of the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who claim the name of Jesus. And so 
This is the first part. This is the first part of how. How? The Holy Spirit. But here's what I find. This thing is, I'm going to move this. I can't see y'all very good. That was an ADD moment, wasn't it? But, but the first thing is we can't do this on our own. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But how much does the church really talk about the Holy Spirit? Right? Why? One reason is because a lot of times when the Holy Spirit moves or we hear people talk about the Holy Spirit moving, people do crazy stuff. Things get flaky. Things get fake. So we just kind of neglect him. He's a him. It's not, a, it's not like a it. He's a him. He's a person. He's part of the Godhead, the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit. Just as you have God the Father, God the Son, you have God the Spirit. The Spirit of God is here with us. If Listen, if the Father is in heaven and Jesus is seated at his right hand now, as the Bible says, then who is here amongst us? It's the God, the Holy Spirit. And a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is essential if we are going to carry this message of God's love and grace to the world. It will not happen in our own ability, in our own strength. It will not happen just because I want to try harder. It's going to happen because I'm walking with God. I'm walking in the Spirit, as Paul says, and the Spirit is working in and through me. So the first thing of how is how? The Spirit. How's it going to happen? The Spirit. Now I want you to listen to some other scriptures. John chapter 13. So flip back from Acts. One book, John 13. I want to read just a few verses to you. John 13. Jesus is about to you know, go to the cross. This is some of his final words to his disciples. Verse 34, he says this. He tells them, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know what? Everyone will know what? Everyone will know what? That you are my disciples. Nobody said a word. If you love one another. So how are we going to be as witnesses? He says, listen, this is how you're really going to witness to me. You're going to share the good news, absolutely. But the witness that you're my disciple is you love one another. You love, you love with the love that I've poured out on you. Listen to John 15. Just flip over a page or two, probably in your Bible. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. So not only does he give us the command to love one another, but he even tells us what it looks like. It looks like laying down your life for others. And it's easy when he said friend, it's easy to think about that, but you got to back up some. What did Jesus say? Look, love your enemies. He said, if you love those who are good to you, even the pagans do that. He's saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He's telling us love. This is a way that it's going to happen. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you, if you're married, if you're married, how many of you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding? Anybody? 1 Corinthians 13. Thank you. There's one. Some of y'all did. You won't raise your hand. 
I'm not going to make fun of you, but how many of you college students, when you get married, because I know, girls, you've probably been thinking about this since you were four, will probably have 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding. Anybody that likes that? Absolutely. Great verses, beautiful verses. But here's the thing I want you to see. Paul was not sitting there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit thinking, I should write something that will work good in weddings. That wasn't what he was doing. He wasn't sitting there thinking, now there's going to be a lot of pastors who are sweating on Friday night because they got a wedding on Saturday and they don't know what to say. I'm going to write 1 Corinthians 13. He writes it because it is crucial. I want you to notice that 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between two chapters that are about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul is going to show us some stuff about love. And he says this is the most excellent way. He's basically saying, look, you can be as gifted as you want to be. You can have all the gifts. You can speak in tongues. You can speak in the tongues of angels. You can prophesy. You can do all of these things. But if you're void of love, it means nothing. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, you can speak in the tongues of men, you can speak in the tongues of angels, but if you don't have love, you're just a noise without a purpose. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. He said, look, you can know everything. You can have great faith. You can sacrifice everything. But if you do it without love, it gains nothing. It advances nothing. It does nothing. He's saying love is the key to the kingdom moving forward. See, God... God expresses himself through love. For God so loved, right, that he sent. So we see this, that it's about love. One more scripture with this. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus has been fighting against the religious leaders a little here, the Sadducees and Pharisees. And so we pick up in 2234. He says, he says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So Jesus just made the Sadducees look stupid. But now the Pharisees are like, let's get together. Come on, hold up. Let's get a plan together. Maybe we can stump him. So the Pharisees get together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So love, we see the power of the Holy Spirit carrying the gospel forward. We see that love is instrumental in this, that it can't happen apart from the, the Holy Spirit, can't happen apart from love. And I want you to see this and kind of try to make that come together. Look, God has revealed his plan from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, all the way to Acts 1, 8. He has clearly revealed this plan. But think about this. Think about this, this little analogy. If you're the commander of an army and you've got a battle plan laid out and the battle plan is, hey, go that way, 
go that way and do this. And then it comes time to give the command. And you stand up and say, go that way. Like it, it doesn't fulfill the, the, the plan, does it? The command and the plan have to go together. And so what I want you to see in this is that Jesus didn't give us this command to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. He didn't give us this plan to love each other apart from the plan to fill the earth with his glory and rule over it in a way that glorifies him. They go together. They fit together. It's the purpose. It's, it's what he says in here that loving God, loving each other, having a healthy love even for yourself as you receive the love of God is so instrumental to the plan that these two commands, they sum up everything else. So we go forward in the plan with love. So how do we do it? The power of the Holy Spirit in love. It's like a YouTube video. We just did it in 45 minutes. So now go home and love people. Right? It's that simple, right? No. That's hard. It's hard to love people. How many of you find it hard to love people? People in your own house sometimes. College students, people in your own apartment that put dirty dishes in the sink. They don't ever clean them up. They leave their clothes all over the place. They don't even act like they can't wash them. Right? Play music too loud while you're trying to study. Hard to love them. Hard to love people. Hard to love people in here. It's hard to love people out there. I know this. I went to Walmart Friday. <laughs> Literally. I'm in Walmart. I'm like, why? Why? I can get it free in two days, delivered to my door, and I chose to come in here. Why? But I'm there. I don't even get through the door good. I grab my buggy. I turn around. Another the lady in front of me grabbed her buggy. Everything. Like she'd never seen a store before. And then I'm trying to get around. There's people coming this way. I don't understand why people in Walmart don't understand. Like the side you're going, like if you're going that way, get on the right side. But everybody wants to come down this way. Hard to love people. So how do we do it? We're brought back to the same thing. It's great. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through love. But we come back to how again. How do we do it? How do we, how do we love like God? Because this is what I can tell you. It's not in you. It's not in me to love that way. So how do we do it? Every time I talk to someone about loving someone that they're having a hard time with, every time I talk to someone about forgiving someone who's hurt them or hurt someone they love, every time I talk to someone, this is what I hear. It always begins with the same word. It always begins with I. I can't. I won't. I just don't see how. Right? And that's our go-to. Why? Because the pain is so much there or the anger is so much there that we look at it and we're like I can't do it it even becomes a source of frustration so you can hear a message on forgiveness and you're like I can't do that you don't understand I don't 
But I know who does because I know we have a high priest in Jesus who's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who's been through everything. Been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. He's, he's walked in our shoes. He's felt the worst of sin in his body when he took the wrath of God for it. I don't know and I can't fix you, but guess what? There is one who can. There is one who knows. There is one who understands. And he is the great physician who can heal your heart and your wounds. I can't, you can. If you keep saying I can't, you're not. But I know this, that the power of the Holy Spirit can do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. The power of the Holy Spirit can do through us what we can't do through ourselves. The, that's God's grace. Grace is not just God's unconditional love and unmerited favor. Grace is the power of God working in us to do for us what we can't do on our own. I can't, nope, I can't, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus said in John 15, five, he says this, and I got to hurry, she's out here playing the music. <laughs> got a friend, he's like 13 years old. He's like, man, sometimes I wonder, when are they gonna come play that music? So, so we look at this in John 15, five. It's like Jesus explains it to us. He's like, apart from me, you can do nothing. But he goes on in there. He says, look, it's to the glory of our father that you produce much fruit. He says, if you'll abide in me, I'll abide in you. And listen, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you're going to produce much fruit. But here's the challenge in that, guys. How do I abide in someone who's not here? It'd be easy. I mean, if we could just wrap arms with Jesus. We can't. Not in that way. But listen, John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will send you another. Another being a word that, that means exactly like me, not me, but exactly like me. Another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So how do we abide in Jesus? We, we're one with Jesus because the spirit is in us. We're one with Christ because he dwells richly in us as we put our faith in him. How do I abide? It's my relationship with God, God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. We can't separate them. They're one. Just as they are one, we're made one with them and with each other. So we're all made one through the power of the Spirit of God. So I abide in Christ through the Spirit that is in me, I stand him into flame. I stir him up. How do I stir him up? I worship, I pray. I get into his word and I begin to see more of his attributes and I understand more of who God is and, and something begins to happen inside of me. The fruit of the spirit, listen, the fruit begins to be produced. Last scripture for today. Galatians chapter five. 
listen to this. Paul is talking about, listen, Paul in Galatians 5 has just laid out what it looks like to live in the flesh. All the sin that comes from us living in our own ability and our own desires and the flesh that we have on us. Our own evil and sin that has become a part of us. He says, but listen, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is he telling us, listen, he didn't say it's the fruit of Brandon. Brandon knows what he can produce. He didn't say it's the fruit of Tammy or Bob or Jim or Sue or it's the fruit of the Spirit. And listen, a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is crucial. A relationship with the Spirit of God as I by faith come to God, as I by faith ask the Spirit, as I by faith pray and I talk with God and I talk to the Spirit and the Spirit works in my heart, things begin to change. Listen, there are people in my life that it is hard to love, I'm telling you. There are people, listen, out there who said things about me. It's hard to love. Had somebody, one of the, one of the things that just comes to mind, I had someone when we first started the church, my dad is handicapped. He's, he had a motorcycle wreck. The comment that was made was, if he can't care for his, his own father, how's he gonna care for a church? Them's fighting words. I called my mom, I'm like, am I a bad son? She's like, no, you're a great son. Why? I was like, well, this is what it said. Then she wants to fight. <laughs> How do you love people that hurt you? And they, look, there's worse. There's more. Listen, that, that's nothing compared to so many things. It's not in my ability. There are people, look, that have hurt, hurt my family. There are people who've said things about my family. There are people, it's happened. How do I love them? And listen, I, there's, there's been people that I've had a hard time and I can tell you this, and this is not like pixie dust. It's not like magic, you just sprinkle it. But I realize I can't, I can't, I can't love, I can't love. So what do I do? I pray, I pray. And people that you always hear, well, pray for, pray for the people, it'll change your heart. Well, yeah, it does. Here's the thing, though, that I know is as you begin to pray, listen, <laughs> it's easy to pray this prayer. God, change them. Lord, if you'll change them, I'll love them. God, either change them or kill them, one or the other. Either way, I'm fine with it. And then I, I, I can love them. If they're dead, hey, I'm good. Listen, if they're alive and you change them, I'll love them. That's easy, right? The challenge is to pray this prayer. God, change my heart. Change me, God. Take this offense out of my heart, Lord. Help me to be more like Jesus, who laid down his rights as God who laid it all down and didn't account being God as something to be held on to, but made himself nothing, but taking the form of a servant 
and, and dying a death, humbling himself even to the point of death on a cross. Help me to be like that, God. Change my heart, God. Your kingdom's more important to me than the offense. But God, it hurts. Will you heal it? Will you make it better? Can I see the way you see, Holy Spirit? Help me to see. Don't let me forget that there's a spiritual root behind this. God, that I'm not fighting against them. I'm not fighting against the flesh and blood. I'm fighting against the spiritual root, Lord. Holy Spirit, help me to remember that. Help me to see that. Help me to love in a way that I can't love. God, help me to find peace in a way in this that I can't find it. I rebuke the enemy in all of this. God, help me to love the way you love. This is what I can guarantee you. You can't, he can. This is what I can guarantee you. If you ask the Holy Spirit to work in you to do something that is in God's will, God will do it. Does that mean you're going to come down here and today you'll hit your knees at the altar and you'll ask the Holy Spirit one time and then all of a sudden the skies part, the angels sing and everything's, you know, hunky-dory? No. But if you'll battle in prayer, you'll keep swinging as we've talked about. The breakthrough comes. And so today, listen... I want to give an invitation to accept Christ. I feel led to do that this morning. So if you know like this is where God's moving in your heart, you just sense that the Lord's speaking to you. You don't have a relationship with Christ. You haven't put your faith in him, haven't received the Holy Spirit. You haven't experienced God's grace taking the weight of sin off of your life. You've never accepted his love for you in Christ, but today the Lord is leading you to that. And today, I want to encourage you to take your first step of faith in trusting in Jesus, resting the weight of your life on him, his grace, his love for you. If the spirit of God is tugging on your heart, leading you to him, then we'll celebrate that with you. The way we do that here is I want you to raise your hand, not head bowed, not eyes closed. We got one here. Thank you. Who else? Today, Lord, speaking to your heart, you know, it's the day of salvation. Day of salvation for you. Amen. Well, listen, this is the way I want to close out today. We're seven minutes past, so y'all are never first in line anyway, so get over it. But I really want to close out today. Um, this has been on my heart because I realize that what God wants to do, he doesn't want to just do it through us here in this local gathering, this, this local church called Connection Church. He wants to do it through every church. And so my prayer is that this, the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to love and, and, and compels us to go into the world with this message that he would work in every church, ours included. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is, I want you to get the name of a pastor 
that you know other than me in mind. I want you to think, maybe it's from your hometown where you grew up. Maybe it's just someone you know. Maybe it's someone in this community that you know. I want you to get their name in your mind, in your heart. And I want you to get the name of that church in your mind and in your heart. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, would you stand with me? We're going to pray. I want to ask you to stand, if you will. And I'm going to pray, but, but I want you to pray as well. I want you to pray for that pastor. I want you to pray for that church. That the Spirit of God would move in a mighty way. So you got it? You ready? All right, let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your plan. I thank you for your purpose for our lives not as Connection Church, but as your church. God, I pray that if there's any wall of hostility that exists between your people, God, that it would fall. If there's some uh, theological thing that, that, that is so minute, God, that it separates your people, God, I pray that that wall would fall. God, I pray for each pastor in this community. God, I pray that they would be filled again and refreshed in the power of your spirit. God, I pray that you would pour out your grace into their lives, that your love into their lives. I pray, God, um, that they, God, would have a, a, just a, a fire, renewed fire, greater than they've ever known in their bones, a greater fire in their spirit. Holy Spirit, would you visit them in a mighty way? God, would you begin to speak to their hearts in a mighty way, greater than ever, Lord. God, I pray for the churches. I pray that as people walk through the doors of the churches in this community, God, in this nation, in this world, that as they walk through the doors of Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches, that the power of your Holy Spirit would overwhelm them. I pray, God, that the power of your Holy Spirit would work so greatly in your people that there would be an outpouring of love like this world has never seen, an outpouring of your Spirit that draws people from all over this globe to yourself. God, I pray that your, your word would go forward, that your love would compel us, that the Spirit would empower us to carry your word and the good news of Jesus, to be your witnesses in the darkest places, in the darkest hour, God. God, help us to see differently. Open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our understanding that we can see differently, God, than the world. Renew our mind through your truth. Do something great and glorious that brings you glory through all your people. Give us a spirit of boldness to rise up against the enemy, not flesh and blood, but the spiritual enemy. Help us to stand firm against him as we pray your word and pray your truth. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.